Thank you, and, and good morning. Uh, my son, Luke, who many of you know for a long time, he was about three or four years old, a little guy, and I saw him, he was distraught. I'm like, Luke, what's wrong? And he said, God answers prayers, but he doesn't answer mine. I'm like, oh, what prayer could a three-year-old be asking for? He goes, Luke, what are you asking God for? Powers. <laughs> like, literally, with the hand motions. Powers. And I thought to myself, that's, in a way, probably one of the more transparent prayers that we might want to pray, but we don't have the filter that, that we have a filter. Powers. We as human beings have, of course, a relationship with power where we're we're drawn to it, we, we crave it, we fear it, we respect it, we're in awe of it. And whenever there's a collision of powers, that's high drama. Doesn't matter whether it's history, whether it's politics, whether it's athletics, the clash of power and powers, we, we find it scintillating. And so when we come to the 10 plagues, we say, wow, hey, look at this. God, the God of Israel, our God against the Egyptian gods. And our God goes 10 and 0. <laughs> Sorry to ruin it. He goes 10 and 0. He's undefeated season, you know, our God. And the interesting thing about our God is that he's not a flexor. He's not just going around, mm, look at me, I'm, I'm big. In fact, for someone who is so powerful, our God is stunningly laid back about how he uses his power. Thousands of years later, God would come to earth, Jesus would be here, and the very first sign that he gave was what? Levitate the pyramids over the city of Jerusalem, play yo-yo with the moon, he could do it. No, he went to a wedding and turned water into wine. Why so low-key with someone so powerful? And here we are, in the plagues, in the story of Exodus, and the very first sign plague is water into blood. Water to wine, water to blood, that's the conversation for another day. But the point of the plagues is not, well, Ed, didn't God take on 10 gods of Egypt and, and beat them all? And, you know, that, it's possible, certainly, the river... The Nile was a god and the sun was a god. But to introduce God, and what I'd like to do as we go into this, introduce God and introduce Pharaoh. So, you know, how do you introduce God? Well, for the purposes of today, what we're going to say is every one of the plagues, every one of the plagues has to do with something created. And what's being revealed to us in these plagues is the creator is here. The creator is being involved. And in particular, in Genesis chapter 1, what the creator, one of the things he was doing was that there was chaos and the creator was bringing order. And he was bringing order so that there could be life and thriving. And what we find in each of the plagues is that somebody's on the, the, the chaos dial and the creator goes, just moves the dial just a little bit towards chaos. And suddenly the frogs that are supposed to be in the river are all over and, and, the, and everywhere in their homes. 
and the gnats and the flies, and it goes on. It's just a little finger of the creator, and what God is saying is, hey, look, the creator is here. But I want to take it one more step as we introduce God, because in Genesis 1, it's not just that he's the creator, that he's the creator. What Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 tell us is that, first of all, his words create worlds. Amen. <laughs> his words. Hey, how much can you bench? How about... His words create worlds. He possesses power that transcends our ability to conceive power. But what he wasn't just doing was out flexing and saying, look what I am. What he was doing was creating beauty and creating diversity and creating life and taking joy in it as he's doing it. He's using his power to create life and joy. And the crown of this was he created Man, and he says, I'm going to put you in the garden, and I want to enjoy you. I want you to be my people, and I'll be your God, and I want to enjoy you in relationship. And what the scripture tells us most clearly from the Lord Jesus Christ is this. You know what the law of the universe is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know why? Because he's worth loving. He is good, and he can be trusted. And being filled with the love of your God, love your neighbor as yourself. This is what's wired into the very fabric of the universe that God created. A God who loves to give and loves to share and loves to create and celebrates his creation. It's very good. But a lie came in, a lie that said that God is not good and God cannot be trusted. And as Romans tells us, that lie was believed. And man went from a relationship built on love and trust with a good God to hiding in fear went from living for others-centered love, as the Lord himself does, to living for self and selfishness and the disintegration that the rest of Genesis marks out, the dehumanization of other people, the valuing other people as a use, taking them from the dignity that they are made by God and loved by God to valuing them as a use, and that God... In the fall is no longer a fountain of life, but he's someone to be feared and avoided and hidden from. And when we meet the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, chapter 1, what we find is that they are subject to a man who is fully expressing exactly what this world is about. Life is about me and what I want to do. And I value people, I value people as far as how they are useful to me. And you, you're going to be useful to me to build my empire. You, I'm going to abuse you because who's God besides me? Who's important besides me? And the children of Israel are reduced in Exodus chapter 1 to slave labor so then we are introduced to God, uh, to Pharaoh, this Pharaoh. And the scripture says this, 
there was a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing. Now, this is a very significant introduction. Because who was Joseph? Joseph was the reason Pharaoh had anything at all. What do you mean? Not too long before, there was a famine that devastated the region. And God raised up Joseph with wisdom, and God gave Joseph that wisdom so that not only did Israel survive, I mean, uh, Egypt survive, but they thrived, and Egypt got wealthy because of what God did, and Joseph was never shy about it. He always said, oh, this wasn't me. This was God himself. So when the scripture says, Pharaoh, there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, that's one of two things. Maybe he was a spoiled crown prince who knew nothing. You're just out there playing with horses and, oh, hey, you're a pharaoh now. Maybe. Most likely not. But even if he didn't know who Joseph was, a quick (laughs) Google search, a quick Magi search (laughs) would tell immediately who Joseph was. And the fact that you have anything at all, it is not exaggeration to say that everything that Pharaoh had, he received as a gift from God. The God of the Jews, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Joseph. But instead, he's living, rejecting gratitude for what he's been given. He's living entitled. He's living ungrateful. And so God comes to him and says, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Joseph, the God who's responsible for everything that Pharaoh has, he says, let my people go. You didn't make them. I did. I love them. You don't love them. I love them. Let them go. Pharaoh, stop being evil. And Pharaoh goes, who is the Lord? Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. I am not going to let them go. And as Pastor Dave pointed out last week, not only did he say, who is the Lord? I'm not letting them go. I'm disobeying. But he doubled down on his cruelty. He said, you dare come ask me, God? You dare come ask me? I'm going to double down. I'm going to show you. This is the... Proverbial, yeah, spitting in his face. Spitting in his face. So what does God do? Spitting, having this cruel, evil man. I mean, candidly, at this point, he's done. If I'm, if I'm God, he's done. What does God do? God turns the perver- his proverbial other cheek and says, oh, you're asking the question? Who am I? Good question. Glad you asked. I'm going to show you who I am. 
God actually honors this question. I want you to know, in fact, as uh, Pastor John said earlier, one of the great themes that's going to run through both Exodus and right here, the plagues, is I want people to know. I want the Pharaoh to know. I want the Egyptians to know. I want the world to know. I want them to know who I am. I want them to know about my power And I want them to know about my reputation. That is a huge theme, but the Lord says, Pharaoh, I'll answer it. And so what happens next is Pharaoh, the Lord had given Moses and Aaron the sign. All right, take your staff and throw it on the ground in front of Pharaoh, and it will become a serpent. They go in and boom, they do. Becomes a serpent. Which, by the way, just for visual we might think like from Sunday school, something, oh, a snake, cute. No, the, the word is more something terrifying, like maybe even dragon-esque, something that would be fierce. So they throw down, oof, becomes a snake, and Pharaoh is like, what? You, you're coming at me with card tricks? Come here, guys. So he brings out his, his wise men, And they, in turn, throw down their staffs. They become whatever these are, serpents. And so Pharaoh's like, see? What are we we doing here? Don't waste my time. But then there's a plot twist. (laughs) And Aaron's staff (laughs) ate all the other staffs. (laughs) All right. Let me ask you a question. Who here has read Dr. Seuss? It takes Dr. Seuss-level understanding of of poetry to get what this means. A six-year-old in the throne room would be like, whoa, I get that. What does that mean? The God behind Moses and Aaron easily devours. Apparently, it's not even a fight. Just... You know, yum. Just, just devours them. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is cl- very clear, uh, clear what's going on. The, their God is the powerful God. And you know who else is realizing that? Of course, Pharaoh. Because Pharaoh is sitting there going, oh my goodness, this God is more powerful. Oh my goodness, This God who's more powerful is the one who I just spit in his face. This God who's more powerful is the one who's telling me, let his people go, who I've been just just, uh, cruel to. This God, this God. Why, if this God was anybody else, the next thing that would be devoured was me. I know that's what I would do. But that's not what this God does. And you know how we can tell that Pharaoh was thinking all these thoughts because the scripture tells us that Pharaoh himself was drawn. We're drawn by power. We're drawn by the realization, oh my goodness, he's being merciful to me right now. He was being drawn by that beauty, but then he says, nope. I don't want it because I don't want to acknowledge him. I want to stay God. I want to do what I do. And so God says, all right, now we'll begin the plagues. And by the way, before almost every plague, 
as we begin with the blood. Uh, almost every plague, it begins with an invitation from God. Hey, Pharaoh, how about you stop being evil? Let my people go. And Pharaoh says, um, nope. So uh, the plagues start. And the Lord says again, by this you will know that I am the Lord. And so the Nile turns into blood. Interestingly enough, Pharaoh's magicians come out. And they do the same thing. Whatever was left of Nile was turned into more blood. And you might ask the question, well, how are they doing this, this power? And all we'll say for right now is that there's more power in this world than just flesh and blood. And God. And the scripture says here that Pharaoh hardens his heart and refuses to even think about it. And this is a very interesting reality. Again, Pharaoh's heart, our heart, God's interaction, there's very practical things for us to, to digest. Because you know what? When we choose to lie or when we choose to sacrifice and be kind, nothing that we do is static. Every time we make a decision to tell a lie, the next lie gets a little easier. When we make a decision to live sacrificially and serve someone else, that too grows. You see, when we're given light and we walk towards light, what happens? Light gets brighter. When we walk away from light, light gets darker. There is a dynamic that goes on within the human soul. This is not a Pharaoh problem. This is a human problem. What we're seeing in Pharaoh, the searing of our consciousnesses, the, easy for me to say, the hardening of our hearts. So the next is the frogs. And again, the frogs, they, they, they wave their wand and the frogs come up out of the Nile. Um, and the magicians go and replicate the frogs. And it's almost like, hey, that's bad. Just wait. We'll make it worse. <laughs> At what point do you think Pharaoh says to the guys, hey, guys, <laughs> how about no more, you make more frogs? How about you make them go away? And I'm going to suggest to you that this is one of the two most significant points of what I'd like you to go away with this morning. The magicians can't make it go away. And the question that I want to ask into the room is, does your God Whatever it is that you're pursuing in life, whatever it is your functional God, and we're not going to belabor it right now, but does your God have the ability to forgive? Does your God have the ability to show mercy? Does your God have the ability, when things are really messed up, to make all things right? 
Because that presumes two things. First of all, that your God would have the power to be able to actually undo damage and make things right. Actually remove guilt and make things right. Second of all, it presumes that if he has the power, that he would want to. That his heart would be kind want to show that towards you because you know the low level lie that runs throughout our humanity whether it's practical with morality or with work or whatever we have this low level I don't need to be forgiven I don't need to be forgiven what are you talking about I don't need whatever form it takes we live there until we really mess up have you ever really messed up really because what happens then is it goes from I don't need to be forgiven to then it flips and the enemy of your heart says, I, how could you ever be forgiven? And the despair that that is. Who is God that is powerful enough to give mercy and has a heart that he's willing to do it? And what we're presented here is a God who is willing and able to show mercy. And Pharaoh comes pleading, pray for me. Pray for me. We need mercy. Pray to your God. Now, why in the world would Pharaoh ever think that God would be powerful enough to show mercy and that he'd want to? Well, he already experienced it. He had experienced it in the painless room with the, with the serpents. Oh my goodness, I'm in the presence of a more powerful God and he is being merciful to me in a way I would never be to anybody. Moses, is it possible that your God would be powerful enough and kind enough to show me mercy? And Moses prays to God. And God brings mercy that Pharaoh did not deserve. When we receive mercy, when we receive forgiveness, if, if you were here for Pastor Dave's message on, on um, Hamilton, and if you weren't, go, go and watch it. And I'm not going to ruin it by telling you the point. There's a time Hamilton did not deserve forgiveness. Hamilton was living in the despair of, I need mercy, but I don't deserve it. And there's that moment when his wife moves his hand towards her. And I know that many of us in this room, many of you, were weeping. Why? Because authentic forgiveness, it's not a theological construct, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful when mercy flows, when there's grace, when it's not deserved. And that's what Pharaoh experiences. He deserved nothing. He deserved death. And God shows mercy, and Pharaoh hardens his heart. I don't want it. Thank you, but I don't want you. And this comes on, by the way, quickly on the third plague, uh, the gnats. New information here is that the Egyptian advisors, his trusted advisors, come and they go, look, this God is bigger than us. He's the real God. But you know what? Pharaoh already knew that. That wasn't new news. It was just testimony from his own advisors. God, he had said, who is the Lord? God says, I'll tell you. And now here's his own advisors telling him. 
The Lord is the Lord, and he hardens his heart. So now we come to the fourth one, the, the flies. Um, Pharaoh, again, asking God to use his strength and kindness to show him mercy, and God does. And Pharaoh hardens his heart. Do you know what's going on here? And this is going to go on several more times. It's not quite wash, rinse, repeat, but this is going to go on several more times. Have you heard of the proverb, the dog has returned to his vomit? Um, I'm going to tell you what that means. (laughs) And you may or may not thank me later. (laughs) A dog has eaten something bad and they're nauseous and, and they're sick. And the dog throws up. And suddenly it's like, oh, I'm feeling better. And mm, I'm hungry. <laughs> oh, and look at this pile of tasty treat. Hey! The dog returns to its vomit. Uh, you say, Ed, that's gross. Hey, it's scripture. <laughs> it's scripture. Proverbs and Peter. But what people will do, and we see this in Pharaoh, is that, okay, we'll value God, but we're not interested in him. We're only interested in him as a use. And when we're done with him as a use, we're done with him. I remember there was a book written a few years ago on raising teenagers. <laughs> they, said, they said, this is the title of the book, Mom and Dad, Get Out of My Life, But First Drop Me Off at the Mall. <laughs> Here's Pharaoh. God, I'm willing to value as a use, but I want nothing to do with you. So then we we have the livestock, which is the fifth, which we'll go through for the moment. And we're going to get to now this one, the plague six, where for the first time now, it says now, it says at the beginning, the Lord had said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Then we had five plagues along where we see Pharaoh's response to the mercy that God was showing him. And now in plague six, we get, okay, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And, you know, if you ask, well, well, which is it? The answer is going to be yes. Because the scripture says over and over, the Lord will not contend always with the heart of man. Uh, the Lord draws and the Lord calls, but he won't always contend. And in Romans 1, he says, I'm giving them up, I'm giving them up. And the Lord knows what he's doing, but what we have here, you know, for our own sake, is the Lord then tells us, I'm hardening your heart, Pharaoh, or he tells Moses, and then he tells us why. And if you go to the next uh, slide, uh, Yeah, thank you. My eyes aren't good. He he takes this moment, and this is almost like a little aside. Hey, Pharaoh, by the way, if this was just about me and you and me taking you out, that's not hard. But it's not about that. What it's about is that I might show my power and that my name might be proclaimed where? The whole earth. Not just Pharaoh, you want to know who I am? Not just Egypt, 
the whole earth. And so as we begin, and, and at this point, you, we for the, this morning are going to stop with the plagues. Next week is going to be the Passover, 10th plague. But now we're going to take a little glimpse, we're going to conclude with a little glimpse of what does the Lord mean? I want my name to be known. I want my power to be known. Well, it begins actually in the next plague where we read that, uh, if you go to the next slide, and the officials who feared the Lord, <laughs> which is almost comical. You could see them like, as Moses is in there, what's going to happen next? Like, ears to the door. What's happening next? Quick. Because they believed the Lord. And when the exodus occurred after the Passover, uh, Scripture says that a motley throng went with them. Now, there's some discussion as to what that is, but a lot of interpreters, both Jewish and Christian, believe the motley throng refers to non-Hebrew uh, Egyptians and others who believed in the real God because of what was going on. We want him to be our God. But we're going to fast forward 40 years. 40 years to the children of Israel are coming into the promised land. And they come to the city of Jericho. And there they meet a, a prostitute. The two spies go in and they meet a prostitute named Rahab. And she risks her life to save them. She hides them. And they come out searching. If she's caught, she's treason, she's done. But she risks her life to save them. And when they get to the point where they can talk, she says to them, look, we heard about what God, your God did with the Egyptians. We heard about it. And number one, she says, I know, we know that he is the true God. He is the creator God. He is the powerful one. Yes, he is. He's it. But then she says something else, which is so at the heart, I think, of what this is, is that God is not just powerful. He's more than sheer power. It's what he does with his power. And Rahab says to them, I want you to swear to me as I have shown you kindness. Swear to me that you will show the faithful loving kindness to my family as I've shown to you. And the men are probably saying, oh, yeah, yeah sure, yes, yes. And Rahab is like, no, no, no. I don't want your word. I know men. <laughs> I'm not trusting men. Swear to me by your God. Swear to me by your Lord. You know why? Because what did Pharaoh hear about God's power coming out from the stories of the plagues? She heard not only that God is the creator God powerful, but he is the God who offered an undeserving Pharaoh mercy after mercy that Pharaoh did not deserve. And what God is doing is saying, is, okay, Pharaoh, if you don't want my mercy, I'll raise you up as a vessel of wrath where, okay, look, I'm going to display my judgment, but in my judgment, I'm going to also show myself as a God of mercy because 40 years later, there's a prostitute in the city of Jericho who's like, that's the God that I want. That's the God who I can trust. That's the God who is good. Rahab, and I just love what happens next, which is a couple thousand years in the making. 
When you go to the first book of the Gospels of the New Testament, uh, go, the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And you can imagine the Spirit saying to Matthew, okay, um, put in Rahab. Uh, we're not really doing mothers here. Put in Rahab. Do you know who Rahab was? Put in Rahab. Because our Lord celebrates. He is a God of mercy. And he is a God of grace. And he says, all right, look. If you do not want, if you want to persist in the ugliness of self-centered, sinful living, yeah, look at Pharaoh. But if you're willing to turn and you want me, I want you. And I am a God of mercy and grace, and I am good, and I can be trusted. And I took Rahab, and I made Rahab grandma to King David, and great, 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 great grandma to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As I ask John and the team to come up, I want to close with two things. We have the contrast of Pharaoh and even, I'm going to suggest, the merciful way that God dealt in judgment of Pharaoh. In direct contrast to that, we have God himself, our Lord Jesus Christ, who in John chapter 13, the scripture says, Jesus, knowing all power was in his hands, Jesus doesn't aspire to power. He doesn't crave power. He is power. And Jesus took into his hand a towel and began to wash the disciples' feet, which is a picture. There's a mess down here that he didn't create, but he's a God of mercy and a God of grace who says, I'm coming down to clean up the mess. I am going to the cross. I've got all power, but I'm going to the cross to get the power to forgive to get the power to cleanse of a guilty conscience. I'm going to the grave to get the power of resurrection that I can now share with you. What we have is a Lord, a God. Jesus isn't an example of who God is. He is God showing us, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And my brothers and sisters, as we close this, we are at a time right now, we are in a society where there is very little mercy, very little grace. And now, what more powerful time than for you and I to be and follow as the Lord Jesus asks us. The world goes after power. The world goes after like uh, Pharaoh. But you be like me. I came to sacrificially love and serve. Let my love and service of you fill you. Meditate on it. Enjoy it. And you become someone like me, bringing grace and mercy into a world that desperately needs to hear that there is a fountain of grace, a fountain of mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.